Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This is Reset. I'm Susie Ahn. Well, COVID-19 is not done with us yet. Even as countries race to vaccinate their populations, the COVID-19 death toll continues to rise at an alarming rate. Pandemic deaths in the U.S. hit another high, more than 4,300 on Tuesday alone. Tonight, we're with the paramedics, with patients in dire need now being turned away at hospitals across this country. In the ICU, today's modeling is measured in suffering. Some are describing it as a viral tsunami. Back in early December, Ireland had one of the lowest rates of COVID-19 in Europe, but that has changed rapidly. It now has one of the highest rates per capita in the world. Brazil is in the thick of COVID turmoil, and those who have lost loved ones are risking their own lives to protest their anger. Tonight, doctors bracing for what they're calling a perfect storm. Hospitals already pushed to the limit as the post-holiday surge worsens. The CDC recently reported that over 90,000 Americans could die of COVID-19 in the next three weeks. And currently, more than 130,300 people are hospitalized with the virus, according to data from the COVID tracking project. These scary numbers bring to mind a warning we've heard from health experts over and over, that while COVID-19 vaccinations give us hope, hard times still lie ahead. Joining me now with the latest on COVID-19 is Dr. Mia Teramina, Infectious Disease Specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. Dr. Teramina, welcome back. Hey, Susie. Great to be back. So let's get some of the big news of the week up here. Uh, President-elect Joe Biden announced this week a nearly $2 trillion COVID-19 relief package, which includes billions for vaccine distribution in schools. Um, What aspect of the plan do you feel will help health professionals and families resist the virus? I think the best part of the new administration's plan is the fact that we are finally having a top-down plan in a national strategy that is being proposed and hopefully can be implemented. This entire time, we have been preaching the need for more access to testing. We've been preaching the need for giving these schools exactly what will help make them safe, prioritizing getting them, getting these kids back in school, making teachers as safe as possible. And, you know, we're talking about hundreds hundreds of billions of dollars being allocated to each of these individual needs, and I'm, I'm optimistic. I mean, certainly we've dealt with uh, not having uh, that national strategy that we've needed, so anything is going to be better than what we've had uh, in the past month, so I, I'm optimistic. Yeah, and you mentioned those billions in education. That's um, uh, about $170 billion in K-12 schools and higher ed, including $130 billion for schools to safely reopen um, and it looks like we've already got a caller with a question. Um, we're going to turn to Jan in Hinsdale. She's a retired physician. Uh, Jan, you're on the line. Well, thank you very much for taking my question. I actually have two, and I'll make them brief. Um, yes, I'm a retired physician. I have a current active Illinois license. I'm trying to figure out who, where to contact so that I can help with the vaccine rollout. Um, I'm sure there are many other health professions in my situation, and it's going to be all hands on deck. And so if you could perhaps point myself and those others in the, in the right direction, because I know that we're going to need a lot of help. Um, the other question is basically for myself, friends and acquaintances, I'm in the over 65 category. 
None of us seem to be able to figure out if there's anywhere to register. I've tried my primary care. I've tried the Illinois Department of Public Health, DuPage Health Department. Everybody seems to be uh, finding the same problem, that there's nowhere to go ahead and register. Do we just wait to contact our local pharmacies? Um, I know Illinois has... It's you know, not quite there yet, but just wondering if you've heard what the mechanism's going to be. I know I will add, we have friends in Indiana and Kentucky who've already managed to get their vaccine, their first dose, but we seem to be finding roadblocks here in Illinois. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate your answer to either of those questions or both. Thank you very much. Thanks for that, Jan. Dr. Taramina? Hey, Jan, thank you so much. Um, I, you know, if you used to be on staff at any of the area hospitals, since many of the area hospitals are doing vaccine rollout right now, you may want to contact a, a hospital where you may have had uh, staff privileges. Uh, I'm sure they could use your help. We are absolutely going to need all hands on deck. Once we have thousands and thousands of doses of vaccine, as are promised, as we uh, get into Tier 1B, we need to have the ability to administer these doses and do so in in an efficient uh, manner. So the next step is, I I feel for you, there is no centralized process and communication that people are able to receive with how and where and when to sign up. And it's going to be uh, a bit of chaos when we when we officially roll into Tier 1B. Uh, some individuals that have a physician network that have been sending uh, messages through my chart um, can anticipate getting an invitation to sign up for vaccine in a more streamlined process. The health departments do have newsletter signups, uh, which will eventually uh, disseminate information with links where you can be, sign up if you do fall into that Tier 1B. And some commercial pharmacies, some of the Jewel Osco's, CVS, and Walgreens are starting to have some signups too, but they are certainly not easy to find. They are, not, you know, it involves a lot of legwork to try and get from point A to point B. Some more information on that. That would be helpful for everyone. Um, Doctor, when we had Dr. Emily Landon on the show last week, she said a big part of boosting this vaccine rollout is just getting more people to administer it. Um, Is this a place where retired physicians and nurses will be vital? Absolutely. Uh, if you have the, the credentials to do so and you have um, an active license, we are, we are absolutely going to be looking for more hands on deck. My guess is that the health departments would be the first place and or uh, potentially a place where you used to be on staff at a, at a uh, physician's office. I really like the idea of having these centralized vaccine mega sites. Uh, there are states that are using uh, stadiums and parking garages and things like that to facilitate more and more. And yet we already do have in place at some of the hospitals and some clinical settings uh, a streamlined process that's working very well. So I, I'd like to leverage both. You know, it's one thing to say, yes, we have the space in this auditorium or in this facility, but do we have the individuals to administer the vaccine on a schedule? You know, where, where is the compensation? Who's compensating these individuals? That's where it gets a little hairy. Yeah, definitely. Well, we've got another caller and it's another retired physician. We've got John in Oak Park. John, you're on the line. Thank you. Um, I've had a concern uh, about an aspect of the vaccine. By the way, I'm I'm enthusiastically pro-vaccine, just to start. Um, And that has to do with the fact that it's an unfortunately little-known fact when you listen to the media that there is no certainty that the vaccine prevents transmissibility of the COVID virus. There's even some possibility that it may induce a carrier state because because of the way that it's administered, 
it doesn't induce IgA immunity, and I realize that's a, a technical thing for some listeners. And my concern about this is that, first of all, the public has a right to know this. It will enhance, it may enhance people continuing to have a strategy of protection of others, uh, which people may think they can drop once they've had the vaccine. And, you know, because people are so suspicious of the medical community right now, unfortunately, they may consider it a betrayal, just like uh, the ACA was a betrayal when they found out they some of them couldn't keep their doctor. Um, so I'm very concerned that this is not public information and, and explained information so people don't lose mm-hmm. hope in the vaccine and continue to, to want to be, have it. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that, John. Um, and Dr. Taramina, we, we've actually talked about this on the show, but um, um, please explain again, um, you know, just because you have the vaccine doesn't mean that uh, you are necessarily not a carrier or that you can't be a carrier. Absolutely. Absolutely, John. Thanks for bringing that up. I absolutely agree. There has to be full transparency on what is expected and the expected outcomes of a vaccine. The, the fortunate part is, is that we don't think of fully vaccinated individuals as being major drivers of spreading infection, but we cannot and do not have data to show that we do not and will not spread coronavirus after we've been fully vaccinated. We have situations where people are becoming COVID positive between their two doses shortly after their second dose. We know that 5% of people may not develop antibodies at all. So we have to continue to, especially in light of these more resistant strains that are more easily transmissible, that we have to be absolutely adherent to social distancing and mask wearing regardless of full vaccination. I've been fully vaccinated. I have not changed a single thing about how I operate my day-to-day. I want to lead by example, very much encouraging the masses to become vaccinated because fortunately, if we do have someone who's an asymptomatic carrier after vaccine, who's not able to be infected by the virus that they're carrying, but is able to spread it, if most of the community becomes vaccinated, the collateral damage will decrease significantly. And that's what's going to drive this pandemic down. Uh, Now, Dr. Teramina, Ohio State University researchers have discovered a new strain of COVID-19 that is identical to the strain found in the UK. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, we've mentioned before that the nature of coronaviruses is to mutate and, and all viruses to mutate. So it's not unexpected that we are getting daily uh, incidents and and, uh, messages coming up through media and scientific networks about new mutations and new strains. Uh, As a reminder, you know, this this, viral genome is around 30,000 base pairs long, and these mutations involve 20, 30 base pairs at a time. There is certainly a concern when we have some of these new, more uh, uh, contagious mutations that they are involving the spike protein. At this point, it does not appear that any mutations that have been discovered and isolated are, in fact, going to overcome our vaccine. We have strategies and plan B and things like that for when and if we have um, uh, mutations that are so significant that our current vaccine strategies will not be fully effective. And, um, you know, that's something that we worry about. We have to vaccinate more people faster than these mutations are occurring. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely something that we are keeping our eyes open and, and regarding, but also we are definitely seeing that these new strains do not appear to be as virulent. While they are very contagious, they're not causing clinical illnesses that are any more severe than what we've seen thus far. And that would be the nature of these viruses because as vaccines start ramping up and the virus uh, moves around in the community, its goal is going to be to spread but not kill its host because it wants to continue to spread. 
So mm-hmm. hopefully, uh, even though we have these uh, more tricky strains that are emerging, we'll continue to be successful fighting against them. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got another caller, Eva in Rogers Park. Eva, you're on reset. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call, and thank you, doctor, for taking the time to answer our questions. Um, I have one that I did the mistake of Googling answers to that before. Um, I am currently nursing, and I am also very early pregnant. I'm hoping that the vaccine rollout will go well enough that before I'm due with my uh, baby, I'll be able to get the vaccine, but I read very mixed messages about the safety of doing that while both pregnant and while nursing. Do you have any insight on that? Doctor. This is certainly a question I get asked almost every day. Um, you know, the, the reality is we did not study these vaccines in pregnant individuals. Uh, we do have our uh, major clinical societies, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the Societies of Maternal Fetal Medicine that are both encouraging the next steps and studies in vaccines in pregnant and lactating persons. Uh, but in the meantime, there does not appear intuitively to be any concern for these vaccines in these individuals. Uh, I personally, um, if I were uh, pregnant and or nursing, I would receive the vaccine without reservation from my knowledge, and I have encouraged pregnant and lactating individuals to do the same. Definitely talk with your provider. And again, if you are uh, lactating, reach out to some of the lactating societies. If you do uh, choose to receive the vaccine, they may ask you to volunteer a sample of your breast milk for study purposes uh, because we are getting more data each day on the safety and efficacy of this vaccine in pregnant and lactating persons. Great information. Uh, We've got Ms. Martinez on the south side of Chicago. Uh, Ms. Martinez, you are on reset. Thank you kindly for your kind attention. Doctor, my question to you is this. It may be a little bit muddy to you, but I am an 87-year-old recycled teenager, okay? And as such, I do have quite a bit of doubt as to whether or not the medical field is giving and being transparent of the actual facts given to us by that kind of office. Please explain more of what they are doing and not doing what they are telling us and not telling us. Please, I am 87 and would like to see 88. Thank you. Thank you for the call. I think that might be our our first call from a recycled teenager. Dr. Taramina, your response. Absolutely. I have no doubt you're going to live to see 100 uh, the way you're going here. You are definitely up to bat for the next round of vaccines. So please reach out to your physician. Make sure if you have uh, an electronic record, a my chart that you are active uh, on that. If you don't have computer access, find out how you can, um, you know, be uh, able to receive the vaccine. I have every commitment to my patients to be completely transparent. I'm not hiding anything about the safety and efficacy and my belief in these vaccines. We've seen leaders all the way up to the top, including uh, Dr. Fauci, very publicly receiving vaccine uh, without reservation or hesitation. So I don't want you to um, have any reservations about any uh, safety or efficacy in your age group. I think the risk of getting coronavirus at 87 years young far outweighs any potential risk of vaccination uh, in your age group. So I encourage you to receive vaccine and I can encourage you to continue to observe social distancing, mask wearing, and uh, keep the fellow teenagers uh, at bay uh, if they are unmasked around you. (laughs) Uh, Well, we've got another call, Elise in Elmhurst. Elise, you are on the line. 
Hi. Um, I was just calling to ask the doctor uh, about questions about quarantine after vaccination. I had a friend who um, asked me a question and I looked all over for the answer and I couldn't find it. So um, as teachers are in Illinois likely going to be in the next group, um, someone asked what happens if you are a teacher and you get your two doses and then um, there is an exposure, like say, because of a, a, a student. Um, does that change the quarantine guidelines? Are, are you still going to have to quarantine in the same way, or um, would the quarantine then be different mm-hmm. because you've been fully vaccinated? It's an interesting one. Thanks for that, uh, Dr. Taramina. And that is a fantastic question, and you aren't going to find an answer anywhere on this because we simply don't have the answers yet. Um, I have been asked this every day regarding teachers, regarding physicians, regarding all types of high-level um, exposures and high-risk exposures and those who are fully vaccinated. I can only give you my best anticipation of what might happen, which is that after two doses of vaccine, uh, two weeks later, you should have immunity 95% of the time. So if there's been a high-risk exposure, the risk of you becoming infected is exceptionally low. We are still formalizing and streamlining antibody testing towards the S protein to be able to document that we have antibodies present. And I think to the extent we are able to do so, I am hoping to leverage antibody testing similar to if you got exposed to chickenpox, we would want to check your antibodies and make sure that you have antibodies to chickenpox so your risk of getting it is extremely low. I would want to potentially move towards documenting antibodies in teachers, healthcare providers, high-risk individuals, so we know that those antibodies, at least for that period of time, are protective. Um, I do not have an immediate need to be testing individuals Mm -hmm. two weeks after their second dose. However, if two weeks after the second dose, an individual develops symptoms and or uh, we do still have current screening protocols that would say five to seven days, we can do testing in an asymptomatic individual. Again, time will tell. I am as close to in the know as possible with these protocols, and I don't know. So as soon as I have more information, I would love to help disseminate that to, I am in the Elmhurst community as well, to the Elmhurst Mm -hmm. Public Schools, as well as uh, everybody um, who uh, needs to know kind of a guideline here as to how we proceed with these individuals. Mm That's Dr. Mia Taramina, infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. Dr. Taramina, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. For the best conversations from politics to the pandemic, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. And take 30 seconds to give us a rating and a review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Susie Yan. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.